everyone. This is Ben Kelly with the Endeavoring Orthodoxy podcast. Today, I'm continuing to look at Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I'm doing a critical theological analysis of the book. Uh, this is part two of this little mini-series I'm doing on the podcast. So if you have not listened to part one, I invite you to go back and listen to that. I also invite you to go back and listen to the episode from about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago, on the kind of the combination of emotional spirituality related to mysticism. I read some uh, some of the Charles Hodges' systematic theology when he talked about mystical theology, and you know, he was just asking the question: Is this kind of emotional spirituality is it mysticism, um, and is it really reflective of Orthodox Christianity uh, throughout the ages. So I'm continuing to look at this. I, I was not planning to go on in this book. Um, you know, I felt that in part one, I, where I looked at the first two chapters of Scazzaro's book, that I was able to effectively demonstrate some pretty major foundational issues with Scazzaro's theology. I uncovered that the his idea of knowledge in theology, how we know ourselves to know God, is just completely unfounded. I turned up some sources where I think, I don't want to say he manipulated them, you know, in a devious way or anything like that, but at least he used them in a way that he should have known better, uh, especially when we talked about Augustine and Calvin. That, that's just not representative of how they thought on the issue of epistemology or how we gain knowledge about God. And so I was encouraged by some people, even people I don't even know, um, I've never met before, who just follow the podcast, who wanted me to continue. And so here I am, I'm looking into chapter three today of Scazzaro's book. Um, be, and really we're looking at chapter three because the overriding theological issue I see in this chapter, it will take some biblical exegesis if I'm able to make my point about it. So I want to mention again, like I did in the first episode, again, this is not an attack on Scazzaro. Uh, in fact, I, I want to be fair and praise uh, some of the things he gets right in this episode. Um, this is also not an attack on you, and this is not an attack on your emotions or emotions in general. Uh, we, we need to learn to think emotionally, but we also have to think rationally, too. And so do not get uh, just don't get tied up in personal attacks when someone attacks how you think. It's attacking your theology or your philosophy and not your emotions or who you are as a person. So I want to talk first about the good stuff that I saw in the book. And uh, reading this chapter, I found many times where I was reading and thought Scazzaro was beginning to make some good points. Um, there was a point where he, he told a story of a guy named Frank, and he was getting at the heart of Frank's problem with Frank's dysfunctional marriage to his wife. And eventually, Scazzaro gets on to the point where Frank revealed that he had a major pornography addiction going on for many, many years. And so the idea that I liked about, you know, Scazzaro revealing that 
and I'm sure Frank is not this person's real name, but the idea that I liked about Scazzaro doing this is that, you know, he got at a real sinful issue with Frank, and that's just not the case of what he does throughout the rest of the chapter, and I'll, I'll explain why, but the idea of working with someone over time to uncover a great burden of sin is a just an awesome example of discipleship. And I think I encourage that. Like that is something that we should be doing as Christians to help one another is working and building a relationship to uncover the deepest things that uh, you and I, we just don't want to admit. We're ashamed to admit it. And we have to, we have to get those things out into the light. And so I applaud him for making that point. Uh, when, when Scazzaro shared the good news of Christ, he, he describes the Christian as being adopted into the family of God, being spiritually reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Scazzaro talked about how the local church is the family for the believer, how he affirmed God leads people through trials and dark times for God's own purposes. Uh, Scazzaro talked about biblical characters modeling their lives according to God's word. And Scazzaro wrote that it is the biblical community that helps people grow spiritually. And, and these are all great points. And, and I found many times that I was, I was beginning to really um, get into the book in this chapter and really identify and say, okay, yeah, I, I think the first two chapters were a bit strange and they, they weren't that great theologically, but here we're, we're starting to get at some ideas that really are gospel truth and gospel-centered, but unfortunately, they all lie within a deeper and more foundational issue within the third chapter. And that brings me to the problems of this chapter. So he would, he would start running with these good ideas, and he just didn't finish them. And, and the, the major problem for him is that he has a major issue of how sin is portrayed in chapter 3. Now, this is something I, I mentioned in the last episode. Any kind of sin or something wrong with a person is always pinned on external forces. And this is exactly what he does here in, in chapter three. Scazzaro spends a lot of time developing the idea that our inability to spiritually develop in our emotions has to do with generational sin. Now, what's generational sin? Well, it means that the reason you are struggling emotionally in your spiritual development is it's not about your own sinfulness. It is more about past generations sinning and the, that sin being passed on to you. And he, he frames this, Scazzaro, he frames this as part of a curse. You have been cursed through these past generational sins. They have been passed on down to you. And Scazzaro makes this point primarily off of the second commandment in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the, the main point we want to look at, and he doesn't use this version, I use the um, English Standard Version, but it says, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And he also uses Exodus 34, verse 7, where Moses 
um, makes new tablets for the or has new tablets for the Ten Commandments. And the verse is virtually the same thing as Exodus 20, uh, where he says, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. So what that means is um, allowing the sin of the fathers to go to their children three and four generations down the line. And so Schizero is he's working hard in this chapter to develop to develop the idea of sin as a habitual pattern or curse from God being passed down generation to generation. And he primarily uses these verses. And and when people get into this idea of generational sin, these are the verses they look at. These are the verses they use to say, this is how it happens. And so um, he states on page 75, this is a quote from him. He says, family patterns from the past are played out in our present relationships without us necessarily being aware of it. Someone may look like an individual acting alone, but they are really players in a larger family system that may go back, as the Bible says, three to four generations. The family history lives inside us all. And I have I have notes written in all in margins all over this chapter of my book asking throughout the chapter, so who is responsible for the sin? Because this gets down to an issue of responsibility. And the problem that I see with this is that Schizero seems to be framing this to where any kind of sinful problem that is leading to your emotional unhealthiness, it's not your fault. It's the fault of previous generations. And so Schizero seems to blame ship or, or blame shift or scapegoat a dysfunctional family for personal sin. He allevi- alleviates the reader from personal responsibility of sin and shifts that blame to past family generations. And he does this throughout the whole thing. He talks about his own family. He talks about his wife's family. And again, like I said last week, he brings up a lot of personal narrative. And he, I think, I, and again, I don't know if he's doing this purposefully or not. I don't know if he is trying to manipulate his readers so that he draws them in through personal narrative, or if he's really genuinely trying to use these as examples to help people. It seems kind of sketchy to me, but he tells all these personal stories to get you as the reader, especially if you're emotionally unhealthy, especially if you're a young Christian who is not theologically trained. Like, listen, I've been a Christian for over 25 years. I mean, almost, I I think, yeah, almost 28 years of my life. So almost 30 years. Um, I I will be 38 in January. I have been a Christian since I was 10. I was baptized and I I was in the church, you know, my entire life before then. So I, I grew up in a good Christian home and I've been around this stuff my entire life. I can smell something fishy when it's written down in a book, when something is a half truth or something just doesn't quite feel right. And when I read Schizero, when I read this third chapter, again, something just doesn't feel right. It's all, it's like he's telling a half truth. And that's exactly what he's doing because he is trying to tell his readers, don't, th- this sin is not your responsibility. It's, it's built up 
in past generations. Now, he doesn't use those exact words, but he never once, never once mentions in this chapter personal responsibility for sin. He frames it entirely around the family of generations past. And this is simply not biblical. You do not, yes, we have, we have the same sins as past generations, but we don't get them. We're not cursed because our fathers and our mothers sinned. That's not how exact that's not exactly how it works. It's not like so he used the the guy Frank, and Frank had a pornography addiction. That doesn't mean that because Frank has a pornography addiction that um, Frank's son is automatically going to be cursed with a pornography addiction. That's just not how it works. And so this idea of the responsibility of sin being passed down generationally, it's not um, entirely biblical. There is an idea of generational sin. We have to deal with that. We have to deal with those verses in Exodus but also there are other verses where the Bible just says something totally different. So as an example, James 1, 14 through 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, James does not mention that gener generational sin lures and entices a person to sin. He states that it's a person's own desire that leads him to sin. So there, there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect here where we're not understanding the, the full picture of responsibility of sin when we, when we compare James with Schizero's idea and exegesis of Exodus 20 and 34. Um, Jeremiah 17.9 states that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so this, this does not mean that the family is wicked and forces your heart to do certain things, but that your own heart is wicked. So again, Jeremiah frames sin in this context of personal responsibility. There is, there is some kind of personal responsibility for sin. So what do we do then with verses that Schizero mentions? You know, what do we do with these kind of verses that sound like, oh, there's general generational sin passed down from, you know, our, our great-grandparents, maybe, to something like James or Jeremiah, where it says, sin is our responsibility. Our personal sin is our responsibility. Well, there are other verses that seem to, to contradict these verses offered in the chapter, you know, Exodus 20 and 34. Deuteronomy uh, 24, 16, it, it says, almost the exact opposite. It says, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. So each person is put to death for their own sin. They don't bear the responsibility of sin from past generations. Second uh, Kings 14.6, it, it describes how Amaziah did not put to death children of murderers due to what the law of Moses commands. And that is actually a that is a direct reference to the verse I just read, Deuteronomy 24, 16. So again, there's this idea that people are not responsible and are not punished for the sins of the previous generations. 
And then there is Ezekiel 18.20. It states that the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. Now, this verse seems to directly contradict what Schizero is attempting to say. If Schizero states sin is a generational problem, and, and he builds his case on that, he talks an awful lot about it being a generational problem, then what does he do with Ezekiel 18 that states the opposite? It states, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. Now, some people might just be, you may just be scratching your head right now, like, is this a biblical contradiction? How do we, how do we harmonize these two things, and how do they fit together? So, uh, there is a way to do it. There is an explanation, and I'm actually borrowing ideas. I, um, I took from an interview of John Piper, um, Desiring God Ministries. Uh, he was a great pastor. If you don't know him, um, he fits my theology well. He may not fit yours well. But this, I got a good biblical answer from him. He gave an interview back in November 2015 talking about the issue of generational sin and or curses. And it's clear that Exodus 20, the iniquity or, or sin visited on subsequent generations are a, are a result of these generations hating God, not because God has unfairly placed undeserved sin, on younger generations, but because they hate God themselves. So there is no innocent person out there that is given the sins of previous generations, and then they're just emotionally crippled from this. That's that's completely false. And I, I believe that is the case Scazzaro is trying to build, where he's saying to people, oh, you know, you, you, it's not anything wrong with you. There's so much emotional baggage that you have from the past that you have to learn to get past from that. No, that's not what Exodus 20 is saying. It is saying that generations that follow the fathers who sinned, they are generations who hate God and they are punished for their own sinfulness. There is a willful rejection of God by the individual meant for individual responsibility. And, and Romans 18 or 118 talks about it. It states that the ungodly willfully reject the truthful, the truthfulness of God through their own unrighteousness. And so we, we don't just see this in the Old Testament in Exodus 20. We see this in the New Testament in Romans 118. So no one is trapped in their father's sin. Anyone can repent and confess sin and be forgiven by God. But there is, a, there is a migration of sin. But migration of sin does not mean that we are not responsible for our sin. We cannot lay our sins at the feet of previous generations. They fall, they fall at our feet. We're the ones who are responsible for it. And so the main point that we get from chapter 3 is that Schizero has built the foundation of this chapter on an incomplete biblical truth. The sins going from generation to generation does not mean that we can hang the blame of that sin on past generations. The responsibility of sin lies on us individually. So I, I can see where 
Scazzaro's message would be popular for younger generations. So much of our educational systems today, of our, our, our social systems, you know, different kinds of, you know, institutions that we have out there, it, they are focused on telling this message of how society has failed us all and, and we do not hold the blame for anything wrong that happens in our lives. And I've, I've worked in public school systems for many years now, uh, and I have seen this firsthand. It is never the child's fault. It is always something else. And I get it. There is, there is a point where, yeah, the parents are failing severely in upbringing this child. But the child is responsible for his own sinfulness. The child is responsible for his own misbehavior, whether or not he has a good surrounding or not. And I, and I, I, I want to project that onto Schizero's work. Yes, there is emotional baggage. There, there may even be emotional trauma that you have experienced. You know, Jesus doesn't, just fix the sin that happens that we commit he also works on the things that have happened to us and have been done to us and so i don't want to cast that out and say schizero is completely wrong there absolutely are things that have happened in our past that reflect and you know kind of drive where we are going today in our current lives but to say that that past generational sin has been thrown down on us. It's been passed down to us as a curse, and we have to somehow escape it. We're, we're not really to blame for that, and that's, that's the tone he gets. He doesn't outright come and say it. That is the tone that he gives throughout the entire chapter. It's just biblically false. It, it's simply not what the Bible teaches. So, again, I'm left wondering what the pastors and the leaders who who I supposedly know their theology, like they are like me, they think like me. What do they find attractive about this book? It, it has some glaring theological issues, and we're only, we're not even halfway through it. We're only through three chapters, and let's see, three chapters goes what? What is that? I'm looking at my book now. Not, not quite 100 pages, so 96 pages. We're not even halfway through the book. Uh, we're a little over maybe a third of the text. So almost halfway. Let's see, the, the text actually consumes about uh, 218 pages. And so we're not even halfway through the book. And there's there are major foundational issues going on so far. So it, it has this book has some glaring theological issues that are really detrimental to shepherding God's people. It, it's this blame shifting where emotional unhealthiness is understood as a product of generational sin and not personal responsibility that leads people, it leads them away from Christ because it builds them up. It, the people who read this book who are, who are struggling with emotional spirituality, this book is building this up where it's saying, you're not to blame. This is not your fault. This has been done to you. 
And I don't deny that there are some things that have been done to people. But it is your fault. You do carry the burden because, you know, when you die and you you stand before God in the judgment, you're not going to be able to say, well, my father did this to me. My mother did this to me. My grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, they I have such an abusive background. They did all this to me. No, no, you're going to be cast out. You're going to be thrown out from the presence of God because you never took responsibility for your own heart. So it, it does, this does not allow people to see themselves for the sinners they are, who, who are in desperate need of God's grace. It, it only allows people to see them as victims of past events that they can't change. You can't change that. And I know that hurts people deeply. And to bring up the past like that just really tears at people sometimes. But there's something far better than blame shifting and seeing sin as something that was done to you. Yes, that is sin. And you are not responsible for it. And you can't you can't say that it's something that is affecting you to the point where you can't can't grow in your relationship to Jesus Christ because that is that's sinful right there. You're not willing to take responsibility for your own actions, for your own sin, and that's what keeps you from growing in Christ, not what has been done to you 20 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. So this is this is a major problem. So so far in this book, I've 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 got really three major problems that I see kind of coming out. Uh, one kind of overlaps over the first three chapters where we see really narrative-based theology, uh, theology that uses a lot of personal stories and anecdotes. It doesn't really get into firm exegesis of the scriptures. It tags verses in there, you know, when it needs them to say what he wants to say. But I've already shown that the verses he used today don't com- tell the complete truth. They tell a half-truth. and he's. And Schizero has used those verses to say what he wants to say in the rest of the chapter. So that's, he's using this narrative theology to really build a case for people that I'm not sure is leading them to Christ. Uh, and I will say it's not leading them to Christ. Uh, we, we already know, I laid out last week, that there's a major problem with how people gain theological knowledge of God, that they know themselves before they know God. And uh, the theologians that he quoted simply do not believe that. And then today we see a major problem of sin. He has not completely given us the doctrine of sin, the idea that we bear personal responsibility for our rebellion of God. We are not innocent and then have received all these things on of us or on us from the past. We are rebellious towards God. And, I, and I, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're a Christian and you have given your life to Christ, you know, you still sin, obviously, but you're not, you are not living in rebellion now. Uh, you are not um, a sinner like that. You are a saint, but you still do sin. So that's, that's, a, these are major problems. And I don't know what people see in this book. I really don't. Did they read it too fast? Did they just skip over some of this? Are they missing it? 
I don't know. I I am blessed that I have a, a critical mind when looking at stuff like this, and I can point it out. And I believe God is using me to do that with this book. So I'm not perfect. I don't know everything, uh, but I I can smell some really weird stuff coming out of this book. And so that's all I've got for you today. This is a bit of a shorter one. I'm sure some of you are appreciative uh, appreciative that I'm not doing an hour-long podcast. I don't mean to. I'm trying to get better at that. So I would really like to get to the point where I'm doing two of these a week and each is a half hour. So um, thank you for listening. If you have made it to this point today, uh, I pray and I hope that um, you and I both continue to learn from God, learn from the scriptures, not from our own emotions and our own experiences. Uh, not that we can't learn from those, but we would primarily learn from the scriptures through prayer and contemplation of God so that we can better know who we are and that we would continue growing and understanding our sinfulness and what we need to repent of and always come back to Jesus too. So God bless you. Thank you all for listening and have a great day.